This is an ABC podcast. Yeah, hello, Australian football fans. Welcome back to the ABC Grandstand Football Podcast for another week after another busy weekend. This time an Anzac Day weekend, Robbie Cornthwaite. So it was fitting that New Zealand took the honours in the A-League over the weekend. Hello to you, my friend. Hello, good Daniel. How are you? The, the league is certainly back with a, a massive bang. Not that it really went anywhere, but I remember at the start of the season how we were talking about, is this the best season of all time? <laughs> the first five, six, seven weeks were unbelievable. I think we're back to that those heights after all the action that took place, as you say, over the Anzac Day weekend. And it was nice to have an Australian and a, uh, a New Zealand team doing battle as well yesterday. Exactly right. Adam LaFondra is going to join us. He's uh, he's not an Aussie or a Kiwi. He's a Brit, but he's, uh, he's in hotel quarantine at the moment. And uh, we're just... Just about there, I reckon, when it comes to adopting him as an Aussie, such as the impact he made uh, in his uh, his early time in the A-League, and now he's back for two and a half years. So a big guest coming up that Sydney FC fans will enjoy, but Australian football fans will look forward to listening to as well because, yeah, he's one of the best we've seen in recent times, and uh, he's delighted, as you will hear, Glenville Adam LaFondra, to, uh, to, which will remind him of his full name, to, uh, to be back in the country. And, uh, yeah, we can't wait to have him on the show in a moment's time. So make sure you tune in for that. Before we get into Adam LaFondra and the A-League rap, though, Robbie, the long and the short of it. You kick it off this week, mate. I think it'll be a pretty optimistic show. This little subject of yours, maybe not so much. No, you're, you're right, Daniel. I think uh, after we get past this, it's all going to be good <laughs> news and positive stuff. Well, maybe not for Wanderers fans. And, uh, <laughs> but uh, anyway, we all, we've all seen the scenes um, from the MPL. Over the weekend, uh, the match between Sydney United and Rockdale, which uh, were obviously disgraceful. And, and for me, there's two parts to this. The first part is the people that involved in that sort of behaviour, first and foremost, they're not football fans. We know football fans in this country are, are held to a higher standard of behaviour in general. And, you know, if we step out of line quite often, um, you know, it can sp- make news in the paper or, or on the on the newspaper. We're in a privileged position of... Our fans can provide an atmosphere and, um, you know, at matches with with active support and that like that's unmatched. It can't be matched by any other sport in this country. But, you know, I really feel sorry for the clubs, the players, um, the real fans, volunteers, everyone who's involved at those two clubs because what happened yesterday had Mm. absolutely nothing to do with football. And I fully condemn that behaviour um, as do most real football fans. The second part of it is uh, the people that come out and say, oh, the media only give this sort of thing attention. Yeah. They, they only focus on the negative. There's no way this story should be front news, um, you know, front news on the newspaper. Yeah. Well, they're, they're completely wrong. There's a bloke at a local match with a machete. Of course. I mean, it's a disgrace. If this was to happen in... In the second tier competition of other leagues, say the AFL, the second competition, the Sandful, the Waffle, the VFL, yeah. believe me, the media attention would be 10 times what we're seeing right now. Of course. I understand the frustration because they say they don't cover football, but then something like this happens and they do. Well, you know what? You're making a rod for your own back because yep. that stuff is always going to be covered and it does get covered in league and AFL as, uh, and Aussie rules as well. And you know what? News Corp coverage recently has actually been a lot better. I know that because I, I write articles for them as well on A-League games and, and the, the website's actually changed dramatically in the last few weeks. But yeah, you're right. This story is now front of the vo- football section. And you know what? If I was the editor, I'd be making the same decision because 
you know, this morning I woke up and I had mates sending me the vision. It's going yep. viral around all my groups. And these are mates who are football fans. They're not trying to stick the, the knife in, pardon yep. the pun. Yep. But to them, it's just interesting viewing, watching how crazy this is and how horrific it is. So just stop this nonsense. There's no one to blame but the football fans involved in this themselves. And they might cost themselves a national second division spot as a result of this. And that'd be a grand shame for a club like Sydney United, who are such a proud club and have given so much to Australian football. But you just can't be involved in incidents like this. And I hope the authorities, the Australian football authorities, aren't afraid of coming out and handing down heavy punishments or, or at least suspended sentences of a, of a huge nature that says, if this happens again, well, you're in big trouble because we just can't have it in our game and stop worrying about other codes and media coverage. Look after our own backyard in that sense and things will be okay afterwards. So yeah, that was uh, really disappointing over the weekend and all the, the negativity is, is deserved. It's sad to say. Um, I don't want to turn this into a Code Wars discussion, Robbie, but, <laughs> but my uh, short of it this week is something that just came to mind watching a bit of the footy yesterday. That was the AFL, Collingwood Essendon. There's a player for, for Essendon, a guy by the name of Archie Perkins, who, who nominated for the AFL draft uh, and, and was picked up by Essendon. And, and while he was going through the process of being picked up, he said, I don't want to play in any other state other than Victoria. So if you're an interstate club, don't select me, basically. And they were talking about it on the coverage yesterday. And I just thought, you know, here's the chance for us to talk about the sacrifices that Australian footballers make, male and female. Because I'd love to say to a guy like Archie Perkins, yeah, right, you might be an early pick and you can make these sorts of demands and all that. But if you really want to follow your dream, surely you do have to make some sacrifices. And look at Australian footballers and Australian basketballers, for that matter, and, and you know, athletes of, of other codes. But we're talking football here. So look at a, a Harry Kuehl who goes to Leeds at the age of 16 without knowing anyone, no friends, no family, and crucially, no guarantee of making it. A Tim yep. Cahill who goes overseas at 16, his family sells his house so he can go for a trial. Just a yep. trial. So no guarantee of making it. Those are the sacrifices that people in our code have to make. And it just, it actually warmed the heart listening to how precious some athletes are in other sports. I don't want to travel two hours to go play somewhere else and get paid a lot of money and live an awesome life and probably have my family come visit me 25 times a year, probably at the, the expense of that AFL club when yeah. our footballers are willing to go to the other side of the world and go through all matter of hell in order to try and chase their dream. And I thought it was worth pointing out for the short of it this week. Well, well, ultimately, um, you know, he's the one that's going to miss out on some wonderful experiences and meeting new people. I mean, that can happen moving in, interstate. I mean, it's like you say, it's only a two-hour flight, but you are going to see something different. You're going to learn more about yourself as a footballer. To go to another country that doesn't speak the language, the food is completely different. You know, we're going to hear from Alfie Lafondre in a little while about his experiences in India. And it's just a, a great learning curve to find out who you are, grow as a person. You know, I, I was um, I was at a travel agent on a Thursday afternoon booking an off-season trip when I get a call to say, you're wanted in South Korea. And on the Monday, three days later, I'm there, mm. you know, because we got this transfer window. We've got to get the deal done right now. Do you want to go, yes or no? And you touch down, you don't know a single person, you <laughs> can't speak the language, you're, you've never been there before. And it is daunting, but at the same time, it's, it's just a wonderful experience. And yeah. ultimately, for a lot of us, it turned out to be the best times of our, of our life. So, yeah, the sacrifices the men and women, particularly the Matildas, are making in recent times, Scandinavia and, and all parts of Europe, is something that uh, other people probably can't fathom. Exactly right. And look, if you've got 
personal issues. We understand that. Um, a lot of people have, you know, mental health issues that they have to deal with and, and living at home, having the support of family and friends, completely get it. But it wasn't so much about having a crack at him. It was more about speaking about the sacrifices that our footballers make. And um, it's something and I, that comes sorry, to light uh, as a result of some people who, who make very different decisions. And I must say the families make as well because, you know, yeah. from, you know, my wife, she used to pack up my – she was 33 weeks pregnant and had to pack up a whole house to it by herself and move overseas and have a baby at a hospital she'd never been to. So, I mean, like, it's not just the player. The player's probably got it e- easier than the, the partners and the kids at, at times. So, yeah, it's a, it's a whole collective. Yeah, exactly right. Okay, the deep and, and meaningful stuff. Robbie, let's give it a rest for, for a little bit and get into some football chat because there's a team across the ditch that's not necessarily playing across the ditch at the moment, but they are flying in the Wellington Phoenix. Villa. Over the top to Ben Wayne. This is a really intelligent run. Hamed's there oh. as well. Timotheo gets in a tangle. Play on. Wayne. Super strike. Fourth goal in his last four games. And Ben Wayne has got the Knicks back into it. Toma Hamed wins the game for Wellington Phoenix. Runs to his fans who are going absolutely burker. You called it, Robbie. You called it a little while ago. Wellington, watch out. What a weekend for them. A win and a draw. And all of a sudden, they're in the top six. Well, for a long time, I've been saying they're the best team outside of the top six. And now they're all of a sudden, they're in the top six. I think Wellington Phoenix on their day they can beat absolutely anyone in this league. And I thought after three games in eight days, travel back from Tasmania, that game was there for Adelaide to win. I think Adelaide started that second half really, really well, had a number of really, really good opportunities. But Wellington, I mean, on Anzac Day, they were willing to roll up their sleeves and and put in the fight. I thought they set up really nicely, particularly in the first half. They were happy to sit back and sort of hit Adelaide on the counter. We know Adelaide are probably the most vulnerable in transition and Ulysses de Villa, I mean, he just continues to grow and grow and he's involved in everything that was good for Wellington. And to be honest, I think they've been unlucky this season. We mentioned a couple of times, if they just had a 5% more go their way, mm. they'd probably be in the top four. It's another big tick for Ufuk Talai, who was the second choice, we understand, uh, for the victory job after Tony Popovich. And I understand was offered the job at the end of last season yeah. before uh, Grant Brebner took it. So he's sought after in this competition. And I'll tell you what, his stocks are rising yet again, not just with what the Phoenix are doing on the field, but the manner in which he's dealt with everything off the field. I mean, let's not forget what they've had to go through. They're sitting there playing in Wollongong, away from their friends and family. And that could turn now, of course, with Trans-Tasman travel opening up. And it may coincide beautifully for a big final for them. How good would the crowd be back in New Zealand if they can have a final after an entire season playing away from home. It'll be a great story. So, yeah, they're going well in that regard. And I reckon there's four players who have made a big difference for them. Ollie Sale in goal has been Massive. absolutely fantastic. That change that Ufuk Talai has made has been instrumental in a form resurgence. Ulysses de Vere, who we've spoken about, has been the heart of everything. Tomer Hemed, their marquee striker, is scoring. How crisp was that penalty? It may have been a pen, but it's the last kick of the game, and he's taken it with so much coolness. It just showed his experience, I think, and the way in which he celebrated with his Israeli fans was another yep. great moment after de Vere's been connecting with the Mexican fans, of course. And then Ben Wayne, you so know, good. another young... Young star on the scene. Four goals in four games. Look out, you know, come the Olympics because they've got someone there to spearhead their attack who's a, a youngster coming through. So, yeah, those players, I think, have been at the heart of this Phoenix revival. And now watch out because, okay, they might lose Ben Wayne if they have a, a New Zealand training camp for the Olympics, but 
they're not going to lose too many others, and the Aussie teams are all going to be picked apart with their national team duty. They are a serious smoky. That's another tick for Ufuk Tale, the development of Ben Wayne as well. We give a lot of credit to the Aussie coaches giving Aussie players a go, but there's one Kiwi that's uh, doing really big things. And Alex Brosk mentioned it during the call. His intelligence was something that Brosky, one of the best strikers the league's ever seen, was really impressed with the positions that he took up when he didn't have the ball or or the ball wasn't near him to make sure that, you know, if the ball did break forward or the, the team won the ball back, he was an option. And he, it almost led to a goal as the words were coming out of Broski's mouth because he put Davila through and it was a good save from Gauchi. But I think Adelaide United will be disappointed not to have taken something from that game. About the most certainly will. Uh, a nice goal for, for Stefan Mork. His excellent season continues, though. So the Phoenix go into the top six and the Western Sydney Wanderers go out of it. I mean, is there a bigger contrast in size of club and everything that was going the way of a team in the offseason like it was for the Wanderers and against a team like Wellington, yet they swap positions at this important time of the season and it was a debacle for Western Sydney on Friday night. Such an important game. We spoke about it last week. The manner in which they conceded five goals to a side. Okay, they had a bit of a, a lift after the Tony Popovich signing. But, I mean, a team they should be able to beat based on mm. quality this season. And they get rolled in that manner. And then you have a protest at the Wanderers training ground overnight. A massive banner saying to the CEO, we want you out. Five years of nothing. I mean, things are getting really tense at that club. It's such a big challenge for Carl Robinson to try and turn it around now. Yeah, I mean, for the Wanderers, the writing's been on the wall for the past month. We mentioned the fact they're not playing well. They're on a a slide. And I thought that was the game where we're going to see them come out and maybe make a statement. Um, Mm. I wasn't particularly pleased. Well, not pleased is probably not the right word, but the the, the lineup didn't really excite me. I I, I think I Ziegler and McGowan and I mean Ziggy's been amazing. He had a, a really really poor game. Is at fault for probably three of the goals, particularly the set pieces and uh, and the penalty. But that back three just doesn't have enough energy. Doesn't have enough speed. It's too slow. I mean Nat is a young player, but he he. He walks back into that back three. Um, obviously, Tate Russell was uh, on the bench. Kamau was was in. Bernie Abini did okay, but I don't know. Just just that lineup for me just doesn't have a, an air of excitement. Doesn't it doesn't feel like it's a, a team that's going to gel. Kamau was right wing back when Russell's had a, a really good season. In I know Russell was coming back from injury, so maybe oh, that. I know. Had, yeah, but I just looked at it and I went, "Oh, is that the right mix right now?" And Abini yeah. had a good effort; he hit the crossbar. That goes in, and okay, we've got a mm. different tone about us right now. So you've got to apply those disclaimers. But I thought Kamau up forward with Russell on as at right wing back is you know the inform mix for them. Um, and, and defensively, they you're right; they make a lot of changes. And look mm. how disjointed they were on those set pieces. And we've yeah. we've pumped up Ziggy Gordon a lot this season, but unfortunately, we have to criticise him because he didn't look like he was at his at his best in this one. And maybe was at fault for a couple of goals. Well, it's, the other thing is last week, Garber, you mentioned about maybe a switch to a back four and 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 maybe what players you would go with. And then I was sort of saying, well, they don't have those players to play that system and blah blah blah. They ended up playing people out of position anyway. I know Kamau can probably fill that role, but you know, you just look at a team and you want to say, all right, Tate Russell, right wing back, boom, mm. that's locked down. We've got the right side locked down. He's going to get forward. But I think if I was Melbourne Victory, I would look at that and go, hey, there's some opportunities here for us yeah. today. Yeah, without a doubt. First thing you're saying is Bruce Kamau, right wing back, we can exploit that. That's yeah. the first thing you're saying, aren't you? Um, yeah, so I mean. Should, should, should the Victory players be a little bit embarrassed? I mean, I know we, we, we say. When there's a change, for whatever reason, there's a there's a reset. Mm. The players get a reset. 
But for them to come out and score five goals in that manner and really take it to the Wanderers, I mean, they should be they probably should be a little bit embarrassed the way that they threw Grant Brebner under the bus like Well, you that. tell me, what's the situation like? You've been in that environment. What's the situation like when it's not working under a coach and then you have that change? I mean, you've been in a dressing room like that. Is that reaction natural? Is that reaction understandable or is it unforgivable? It's a bit of both. It's a bit of both. I think what happens with a coach that gets sacked is players, like in the media, players feel when it's the time, you know what I mean? They think, oh, this is probably the time he's going to get sacked. Mm. And then he doesn't. And then it just drags on and yeah. drags on. And you just wait. It's almost like you're just waiting for them to get sacked. I know that sounds bad because you're thinking, well, why don't you go and turn around in that time? But it's almost like the rot sets in and, you know, players are human. I know I know. we say you've got to show pride, and, and but it's so, it is so difficult. I can only imagine what it would be like to be in a relegation battle in, in the Premier League and the pressure that would be on you. But, yeah. It is a reset. It's a switch, and you know Steve Keane, whether he's there when once Tony Popovich comes in, because that is the big news. Tony Popovich yeah. will be the coach of Melbourne Victory, and it seemed as though he was the only man that, well, the right man for the job. Yeah, there's not much more you can say. I mean, we've discussed it. They need a culture changer, and he's the best person for it. I mean, he'll come in, and I mean, you've worked under him, so yeah. I assume he comes in right now and he says, "No, no, yes, yes, yes," and everyone just says, "Yes, Tony." Um, agree, Tony. Um, two bags full, Tony. Whatever you want, <laughs> done. Is that yeah. that's just how it works, right? And under a Popovich regime. Yeah, you're right. But I also think what he's been able to do with some of the squads that he's had. We know that he's had a. He, he likes to sign players that, for a lack of a better word, are, are recycled players, and he turns them into something. So some of those guys that are there that we're looking at now, going, he can't be there. Popper might say, you know what? I think I can. I can make this guy tick. I can make him half decent if I get him to play slightly different, I get him fit, I get him energetic, all these sorts of things, then um, maybe I maybe I can maybe he's he's of use. And the way that Popper works is when things are going when you're playing well is when he'll be the hardest hardest on you. When he's he's not happy with anything and you've got to walk on eggshells. And when you're playing poorly is when he says, No, 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 I'm happy. Like you're doing really well. So it's psychological, but it's also a man management style. And I wouldn't be surprised if when he went into that um, that victory dressing room, mm. he sort of was, if he's a little bit more chummy chummy than, than he, he should be, and maybe players start to think, oh, this isn't going to be too bad. And that's when he flicks the switch and really puts you out of your comfort zone. What will he do? Give us some insight for victory fans. What will he do when it comes to changing the eating habits? We've heard about this so many times with Popovich and how he cuts down on the diet. And I feel sheepish having eaten a couple of mint slices late last night actually asking mm. about it. But what will he do when it comes to changing the way they eat and measuring skin folds and things like that? Well, it's pretty simple for, for Popper. I mean, you could be the best player. But if you don't do what he's asking, you will not play. So it's pretty much do it or don't. And we've seen people either love him or they hate him. And mm. and I've told I've said this a, a number of times. If he thinks that at 85 kilos, you play your best football, when you are 85.5, in his mind, he's thinking, how do I know you're going to play your best? <laughs> if you're 85, you play your best, and you're not 85, maybe I can't trust you. Maybe you're going to make a mistake. That's the way he thinks of the, you know, the, the level of detail. Maybe there's that ball in the last minute that you're not going to get to. Yeah. So you better be 85 or you're not playing. Just like that, eh? So how did you deal with it? What, what, did you adjust to it easily? Um, 
I, I like that type of coach and that sort of authority. I think you can earn their respect by doing what they say, I suppose, in, for lack of a better word. So, yeah, I was able to change things really, really fast. You know, my skin, uh, for people that don't know, we probably won't mean anything, but I probably dropped 21 in my skin folds in about a month, which is like ridiculous, really. Wow. Um, but it just shows how much extra I was carrying, even though people would look at me and say, yeah. I'm skinny. I mean, people probably see me now on TV. And I've got a little bit of a gut, but I'm like 96 kilos now. When I was playing for Popper, I was 83. Wow. And when you look at me, Jeez. you think, where the hell are you going to lose 13 kilos? Where does that go? I don't know. Honestly, don't know. But he used to he used to laugh and he used he he um when he bumped into my wife one time, because we didn't live too far away from each other and we saw each other in the in the supermarket, and he said to my wife, Do you enjoy hugging a bike frame? <laughs> But if you could lose 13 kilos, I am mortified of what I could lose. I actually need to like somehow get into Popper's changing room. Maybe that's the way for me to get back into some of my best yeah. shape. Um, amazing. That's incredible insight. Thank you. One man who I reckon hasn't got too much to lose, having uh, come back from India, which is uh, the tale that Stephen Taylor told us. It was an easy way to lose weight. Is Adam LaFondra. He's our special guest on the ABC Grandstand Football Podcast. Let's bring him in now. Yeah, delighted to have this man join us on the ABC Grandstand Football Podcast, Glenville Adam James LaFondra, a man who scored 45 goals in 68 games for Sydney FC, and he'll be wearing the sky blue colours again for the next two and a half years. Glenville Adam, thanks for joining us, mate. Great to have you on the show. Cheers, guys. That's some introduction. I've not heard that one for a while. Um, Glenville, eh? Yeah. All right. Is that how we're going? Is that that's your your true first name, isn't it? As per your Wikipedia, anyway. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, my dad will be happy, but uh, <laughs> me certainly not. So when Adam, did, please. <laughs> when did when did you shed Glenville then? When did Adam become the the dominant first name? I think it was about well, always it's been Adam, but um, obviously in school registers and stuff when I was in primary school, you'd get the new teacher now and then when I was about five or six or, six or seven, sorry, go with Glenville, and I'd be like, "What, Miss or oh, Sir? It's Adam, please. You know, let's cross that out." <laughs> So I had to make that quite clear quite early on, really, that it's, you, you know, it's Adam. Get, you have to get your Wikipedia amended then, mate, or else you're going to get it rolled out every now and again. That's the way it works. Yeah, it's all right, mate. I don't mind it. Um, <laughs> you know, it's what it is, isn't it? Good stuff. Mate, you're in quarantine at the moment back in Sydney. Obviously, you must be delighted. Um, we spoke to Stephen Taylor uh, a little bit uh, a few weeks ago after his return from India in quarantine there. You two are looking a, a hell of a lot lighter, a lot leaner. What have they been doing to you over there in India? No, I think uh, for me personally, I've just shaved the beard off, mate. I had a, a very close haircut just before I came. Uh, I've not got many left, but you know, I had a you know shave my hair as close as as short as possible, my beard off, so that when I get out of quarantine, I don't look, you know, fifty stone and you know about eighty-seven years old as well. So, you know, um, uh, I, I think I've kept myself quite fit as well uh, over the years. Good stuff. Steve Taylor said he, you know, he couldn't eat the food there, and he got sick, and he lost so much weight. Did you have any any issues like that, or are you arriving here, yeah, fit enough and healthy enough? Um, yeah, I think early on, um, you know, I tried to sample a little bit of the cuisine, and um, <laughs> it didn't quite sit quite well with me. Um, so I soon went back to sort of my usual diet, or well, my usual diet, but I just went on a, a very simple diet then of just a pretty much pasta and. And whatever I could eat that was a bit more, you know, westernised than, than their food, um, it was a bit too spicy for me. We know the quarantine was was difficult or the situation in India. We know um, Stephen had a bit more of a difficult time in particular because his team wasn't winning games. You won the title, won the championship, scored plenty of goals. Did that make the whole experience far more enjoyable? 
Yeah, of course. You know, whenever you're successful in that sort of uh, situation, it makes everything, you know, much more enjoyable when you're winning games. It sort of glosses over the fact that you're away from, your, you know, for me personally, my wife and kids for, you know, five months, um, you know, the social side of it. Um, you know, realistically, I was sat in a room pretty much all day, go to training, come back, sit in my room, or go to a game, come back, sit in my room. So, you know, them sort of things, you know, it's a real battle for yourself mentally, but, you know, ultimately, if you win and be successful off the back of that, uh, you sort of forget about them things and, like you say, it glosses over that fact. So you've signed for two and a half years, which is absolutely fantastic for Sydney FC fans. Were you sitting there in India just wishing you were back in the A-League? Was that something that was going through your mind, longing for a return to Australia the whole time? Uh, well, to be fair, when I left, I didn't really want to leave. I think I've, oh, it was well documented. I didn't want to leave at the time. You know, um, I had two fantastic years prior to obviously, co- well, COVID was in between the last year, but obviously with COVID coming in, it changed the, the outlook really, and they didn't really have, you know, any foresight of what was going to go on with the league and what was going to happen financially and stuff. And for me, I had to secure my, you know, obviously security for myself because I didn't, I didn't know what was going to go on. So obviously when I moved to Mumbai, we, we left the deal, you know, open-ended for both of us. If there was an interest for me to come back, if there was an interest of them bringing me back um, because how much I enjoyed it and my family enjoyed, you know, the experience in Sydney outside of football. So, you know, obviously then watching the games and obviously seeing how open, especially this year as compared to the years before, I was sort of kicking myself thinking, bloody hell, I'd have 20 goals by now. And, <laughs> you know, um, I'm, I'm obviously excited to hopefully the, the next two and a half years are just as open because then hopefully I'll be as, a, as productive as I was before or even more so. <laughs> You got a tattoo of of the Harbour Bridge or the Opera House, I believe. So it obviously meant a hell of a lot to you, um, your time here, well, time in Sydney. Can you explain why it meant so much to you? And the fact that you spent 14 years in the UK before leaving, did leaving and going abroad give you sort of a new lease on life? Yeah, you know, with the tattoo, it was something um, I mentioned probably about 18 months into the boys at the club about a good tattooist in Sydney to get it done. And you know, I managed to find in the end find one in in England to get it done. It was something that I've always thought of doing. Once of, you know, the kids loved it in in Australia, and it was such a massive, massive, massive decision for me and my family to do. And you know, they sort of took everything like a duck to water. So for me, it was symbolising, you know, the the journey that my girls have been on, the life experience for me and my family that we've had here, and how amazing it was to to put that on my body because. You know, it's a symbol of something what I've achieved and what the girls have achieved as well. And and to the second point, yeah, definitely, it gave me a real new enthusiasm for the game. I was, um, it was a massive decision for me to leave England at the time, and um, I became a little bit stale with England and probably a little bit down with the football there, if I'm honest. And you know, moving out to Australia and it gave me a real new lease of life and reinvigorated my enthusiasm for the game and. You know, I think people seen that in the way I played and, you know, obviously my performances as well off the back of that. Most certainly. Your goals record stands up with any who have come before you in the A-League slash NSL era. And as an ambassador, as you've just exemplified, you've been top-notch. Now there's a different challenge, though, Adam, because Bobo's there as well. You're coming back. It's it's a different dynamic. You were the bona fide main man. There's a good chance you still will be, but there's another target man type striker there in in Babai. What do you make of that and, and the dynamic that might be a little bit different for you? Yeah, of course. You know, Bo, when I came, I was chasing Bobo's ghost sort of thing. So it's going to be interesting. Obviously, we're, when we're both you know playing up front together, or you know the dynamic of when I'm added to the you know when I come out of quarantine and added to the the striking ranks, and 
and how we set up from that. But from what I've seen, we, he's a, obviously a fantastic footballer and, and a very good goal scorer in his own right. So, um, you know, I'm just excited to play with him and see how obviously Bimby uses us um, both or if, if we go with Costa and him, me coming off the bench or me and Costa and, or me and Bobo. Um, you know, we've, we've got great depth now, which is, you know, fantastic coming into the, you know, the final run-in of the season. What have you made of the season so far from the team? I'm sure you've watched all the games you were able to um, in your time here. You were sitting at the top for 99% of the time. Um, a little bit of a different season. What have you made of the performances? Yeah, it's, like I said, it's been much more entertaining. Obviously, the games are much more open. There's more youth in the league now, which you know should be applauded in, in some ways. But obviously, with the youth, they've brought naivety in the way they defend. And um, I think every game's seeing that, you know... Uh, you're just getting chances left, right, and centre. Obviously, I think obviously Mariners should be applauded for you know they were I think wooden spoon for two years in a row, and I was there. And then you know you look at it now they're at the top fighting for the for the for the title. So you know it's amazing that you know an underdog two for two years in a row has turned into a title contender. So I think that's fantastic and in and shows how how good the league is and how competitive it is as well. Most certainly, and they're in the race for the Premier's plate. It may be a step too far for Sydney, but when the finals come around, it's going to be most certainly open because of the amount of Australian players that are likely to be called up on national team duty for the Socceroos and Ollieroos. That could affect Sydney as well, of course. But has Steve Corica spoken to you about that? That come finals, things could be wide open. And if, if you're just in that top six, you can potentially snare a, a massive trophy. Yeah, of course. You know, obviously the three-peat's still on for us, so... Um, I think obviously the big thing for me was coming back and, and getting myself fit, getting myself ready for the finals really. Obviously we're not guaranteed to get the top six, but I'd like to think with the quality that we've got in the squad that we can try and even push the premiership as far as we can. Obviously we know players are going to be missing. I think we're going to lose obviously Rhino, possibly Redders as well. So um, obviously every team's going to be um, hit who've got you know the, the top soccerers in, in their squad. So um, you know, we'll, we'll all face challenges as squads, but it's obviously, you know, whose depth can handle it the most. You mentioned uh, the finals and, and trophies that are up for grabs. You won a couple of trophies in your time at Sydney, and then again when you went across to to India, you won a big championship as well in 2012 with Reading. How does how does promotion and a trophy weigh up against the last couple of the years? What's it like to get promoted to the Premier League? Uh, it's quite hard to describe, really. You know, um, for me, at that, at that time when I got promoted, it was like a dream come true. I was playing in the bottom division in England 12 months before it. Then, you know, I fast forward my career and I was lining up against Stoke on the first day of the season in the Premiership, scoring a, a 90th minute equaliser. It was something I couldn't dream of. So, you know, to given that opportunity to get promotion from obviously the Championship to the Premiership was was unbelievable for me and you know most likely the the most standout thing I've done in my career is achieve that promotion to to the Premier League because no two ways about it the Prem's the best the best division in the world so to me to set foot in that um you know that competition was was amazing for me speaking of reading eight points off the playoff spots at the moment so it looks as if it's going to be too hard for them to make it but your old teammate there, Adam Federici, is having a pretty good time of it in the A-League. Have you spoken to him about potentially putting one past him when you make your A-League return? Yeah, of course. I've, I've spoke to Feds quite a lot. I even stayed, when he came back um, at the back end of last season, I went and um, seen him and stuff like that and you know, spent a bit of time with him. I always speak to him, give him a few you know, jibes and that. And obviously, when he plays and stuff, I'm like, 
get the sidewinder out or let's see a camera save and you know that sort of thing and you know I've seen he's been in great form and um, you know obviously I'm looking forward to scoring past him and, and battering him on the golf course again like I did in yes. Reading. <laughs> no, it's going to be good to have uh, some close friends close by in, in Sydney when you're back because obviously you've, you've had to leave your family again. I saw some handwritten notes from your kids on your, your Instagram. We touched on earlier in the show about the sacrifices that footballers make maybe compared to other sports. And I just, you know, you hadn't seen them for five months in India. Did you get to see them briefly before you left? And how long until they can find their way to Australia? Yeah, I think that was one of the most challenging things for me. You know, uh, I had the opportunity, you know, realistically to come back straight away to Sydney um, from my season. But for me, it just wasn't the right time. I wanted to see my family. I wanted to spend time with them and, you know, have some real quality time with them obviously you know seeing them for five months on on FaceTime isn't quite the same as, as holding them in your arms and, and obviously playing games with them etc and, and just being a dad um, so for me I got maybe six weeks of, of quality time with my girls and then the first two weeks they were off school and um, as you can imagine I was in quarantine and that was you know real fun for me just you know doing whatever just obviously the weather in England wasn't quite great them two weeks so you know, try to spend as much time with them as I can. And, you know, the the eldest was probably a little bit sick of me coming in a room and, and asking if she wants to do out. Um, and she's, she's growing up a bit too much now for that. And she's like, get out, Dad, come on. I know you've been away, but we don't need to keep doing this. So, yeah, it was good. It was good. Good stuff. Matt, have you got the other uh, golf clubs in the hotel room there with you? Have you been able to put up a, a putting course or something like that to keep busy and get ready for when you can be released on the Sydney links again? <laughs> Yeah, of course, I've got the clubs here, mate. I was, I'm contemplating them taking them in the bath with me, giving them a good clean before um, before I get out. I've got my training aid with me, trying to just get my, my swing on the inside, and you know I'm working on a few things as well as keeping fit. It's an addiction that will uh, that will never get the better of. That is for sure, Adam. But good to see that it's it's keeping you busy, mate. Thanks so much for uh, for joining us on the Grandstand Football Podcast. We're delighted to have you back in the A League. You were a wonderful addition for a couple of years, and it was great news for Sydney fans and Australian football fans in general that you're returning, not just for the rest of the season, but for a couple of years after that as well. So, mate, good luck with quarantine. We can't wait to see you back in a football field soon. Cheers. Thanks very much, guys. Thank you. Just great to have him back, isn't it, Rob? He's just He's been a breath of fresh air from the moments he came to the A-League. We've had a little hiatus, but it's so good to have him back. I'll tell you what, listening to some of those comments and the way he describes some of these naive young defenders, he's licking his lips. <laughs> he thinks his goal-scoring record's going to get a hell of a lot better. And I think some of these young boys might be quaking in their boots because he's, he's got them in his sights. And, uh, I mean, Sydney FC, we mentioned what they were lacking and, and maybe, yeah. you know, the structure wasn't right once he left and Bahaja and, and Barbarusos. Bobo's obviously helped when he's come in. But, yeah, he's going to be the guy that ties that whole front third together and it's really made Sydney a, a real threat in the finals. We've seen Sydney, you know, probably give up some goals late in games and, and in, in 50-50 matches, they haven't quite managed to get the points this season. Yeah, I reckon Adam LaFondra changes 50% of those games and just wins you 50% of them because there'll be a half chance that he just takes. And he did that for a couple of seasons. And now as we get into the end of this campaign and squads are going to be decimated as we discussed, someone like him who can just sniff a goal out of nowhere, like Jamie McLaren does for Melbourne City, it just changes the whole context of a football match. Well, say he comes back and he plays the last five games of the season. I don't know uh, how many will be left when he gets out and how long he needs to get fit. You would say that's a minimum maybe four or five goals, Sydney are going to be better off. Um, I wonder if him and Bobo can play together, but mm. 
I mean, it's one of those it's one of those cases where okay, Bobo might start, and after sixty minutes, Lafondra comes on. You still got Bahaja coming on, so. For the opposition, I mean, the, the firepower that they're going to have and the experience, the goal-scoring record that, that that's going to be able to come on if things aren't working, is it's a real weapon for Sydney. I don't think they ever signed Bobo with the intention of him being a starting man yeah. in the big, big games. I think it was always off the bench, that option to give us the target and give us some depth. Yeah. I think they look at it and they go, LaFonda is the main man, Barbarous is off him, and we bring Bobo off if we need a goal off the bench or, you know, as a sub for the last 20 and what an option that is to, to help win us another title. And I reckon that's the way they've started to, to manifest it in their minds. Yeah, no, no doubt. And we mentioned probably back in February when we started talking about all these um, players that are in India potentially coming back that maybe we were surprised. Well, I was certainly surprised. Maybe they didn't wait a few weeks and maybe got Lafondra straight away. But just the fact that his team went deep into the finals, they won the whole thing and then... He wanted to go back to Australia, see his family, and, and uh, sorry, England, and see his family. I mean, that obviously all played a part. Otherwise, we might never have seen Bobo on our shores. Exactly right. Hey, um, I didn't quite enjoy Matt Simon's non-celebration for Central Coast against Sydney FC. That was a classic. Speaking of the Sky Blues on the weekend, what a game of football. Tuned up the Mariners, 2-2 draw in the end. I almost chose it for my short of it of the week because, <laughs> hey, Matty Simon can do what he likes. Who am I to tell him how he feels about Sydney FC? But I was just disappointed as a neutral. Like, it was such a big moment. Big crowd on the Central Coast, over 10,000. Their biggest crowd in, like, four years or something like that, which just shows how the good times have returned there. They go 2 up over a, uh, the back-to-back champions in Sydney FC, and then Matty Simon gives her the calm down. I just sort of like dulled the crowd a little bit. It was I was waiting as, as someone watching on for that place to just explode after Matty Simon scored that goal and he just diffused it a bit. I mean, it was a little bit of a, oh, did you need to not celebrate there? I mean, I don't think oh, it quite worked. I mean, to me, I've never been a fan of the non-celebration. The only <laughs> time I think you should not celebrate is if that's your boyhood club. You've come through the ranks of the youth team. You've broken to the first team. And, you know, it's like if Steven Gerrard scored against Liverpool, yeah. he went to another club or, you know, like I think, well, yeah, he's not going to celebrate, of course. It's in his blood. But when you've played for three, four different clubs, I don't care if you won a championship and how good the fans were. They understand it's football and... Yeah, you're right. That would have that would have helped uh, lift the roof off Central Coast because there was over ten thousand fans there. Two 0 up against the former champions. It was last. It was a wooden spooners versus the champions, and what a game it was. I think mm. I, I don't think the Mariners lose anything from that game. I know they they drop maybe two points, but to know that they can mix it with arguably the best over the last couple of years, I, I think that um, gives them a lot of confidence come finals time. That you know what, whoever we come up against, we've played pretty much everyone in that top six. We've matched it with all of them. We are a contender, and I think even though it was two all, um, they're going to get a lot of confidence out of that result. And they've got a strike force that's clicking so well. I mean, Matty, Matty Simon's so dangerous, but Marco Arena, what a signing. Mm. He's he should have passed it, though. Yeah, yeah, but his goal was, was top-notch as well. Yeah. Um, you're, speaking, you're saying for the, for the goal, he should have passed it. No, no, there was one in the second, the second half, half at 2-1. Yeah, so. Nisbet, I think Nisbet was the, the yeah. player. If he just maybe squared it, he went for goal and, and the keeper yeah. made a save. But they're the moments where, you know what? I've got a good opportunity to score and it's opened up for me. If I just put this on a plate for Nisbet's 3-1 mm. game over and that could be happening in the grand final. But 
Um, they just keep showing up, the Mariners. I'm enjoying it. Yeah, exactly right. He's playing really, really well at the moment. Obviously, Denny De Silva adds to that mix and, and several others. And it took a special goal for Sydney to get back in the game. I mean, that Ninkovic strike, I mean, the ball from Braddon is yeah. top notch. I mean, there's someone, another one who could be in that Socceroos squad the way he's played in the second half of the season. And then what a finish from Ninko. So they had to produce their absolute best, Sydney, to get back into the game. Yeah, and that probably took the wind out of the Mariners' sails as well. That goal on the stroke at halftime, you go in and all of a sudden maybe it changes. I don't know if it changes the team talk, but maybe it's it's less of, boys, unbelievable, let's just keep what we're doing to more like, all right, we've got to be a bit more careful now, you know, at 2-1. And they had a goal disallowed as well. Sydney could have maybe got one late on, I think, when the ball just ran over the byline when Wood was... About to tap it in. So, again, it reminded me almost back of the days where the Mariners were flying and, and Central Coast and, and Sydney down there at Gosford. It would be big Sydney crowd. And I think they had a 5-4 or 4-3 down there one day. It was, the atmosphere and the spark was there. And there was just so much energy. It was a really enjoyable game. Yeah, for sure. Uh, MacArthur, Melbourne City... Probably didn't reach those heights, it's fair to no. say. Um, a one-all draw and maybe a missed opportunity for Melbourne City because they win that and they could have gone two points clear at, at the top. And we know the Premier's plate is so important for them because come finals, uh, they're going to have their squad completely decimated. They could lose half of their first 11. But uh, not a bad performance by MacArthur. Considering Ante Milicic wasn't there, our thoughts go out to him after he lost his father uh, at the beginning of last week and just said he wasn't in the frame of mind to to coach the team from the sidelines. Ivan Jolic did a really good job. Uh, so well done. To, uh, to him and I think MacArthur it's becoming a little bit of a grind for them at this mm. stage of the season you know they've got a good squad yes but they haven't been in a place like this as a group you know trying to to secure that final spot maybe their forms wavered a little bit and they just found a way to get a point so credit to them but uh, a missed opportunity for Melbourne City because they were up 1-0 uh, but MacArthur on, on the balance of play probably deserves something yeah, I thought MacArthur were good. Um, again, they could have pinched it at the end. It was pretty cagey first half. There wasn't really any openings. I think Jamie McLaren probably had the best of them, maybe a chance you'd expect him to score. I think the thing with, with MacArthur is, you know, Matt Derbyshire has obviously had a great season scoring and plenty of goals, but I don't think they've had, you know, a player that's been able to dominate over a long period of a season. You know, like Jamie McLaren's been doing it for the last 10 or 12 weeks. Um, other sides have had players that have been top of their game. Like, look at Metcalf's game again. He was incredible in between the lines, occupying space. I think I think MacArthur's players tend to have two or three good games and then they go quiet for two or three and they might come back for one. They haven't had those two or three players that have, have been good over the last 10 weeks. You know what I mean? They've been solid. But there's been no standout for a long, long period of time. Um, I know we bang on about Metcalf, but honestly. He's so good. I thought he was so good. Yeah. I mean, he hit the crossbar. He had another good chance. And just the movement as well of Melbourne City. Someone is always occupying a space. They had a really good chance in the second half where, you know, McLaren sort of came and then Noon came. McLaren mm. made the run into the channel and he's gone wide. So Metcalf's bombed in onto the box and he's nearly scored. And then the goal came from something very, very similar. So... The way they're ticking is is fantastic, but Paddy Kitsnormbo's comments after the game, he said, nowhere near where we need to be. We've got so much work to do. And that's a Tony Popovich. Things are going well, so I'm not happy. Yeah, right. Um, you know what I mean? And and, and obviously, Kieran Stokes, um, disappointing. He, his father's the famous uh, horse trainer, actually, Philip Stokes. Right. So um, quite, a, quite a nice little story there. But um, yeah, he'll be disappointed with that mistake. And again, Paddy said, well, age is no excuse. He, yeah. he wasn't concentrating. Yeah, no, it was, a, it was a poor error. Well done to Michael Roos, his first A-League goal, taking advantage of it. Just on Metcalf, you can just see the confidence he has with that finish. Yep. It's almost as if he, he wasn't really trying. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it was just, it just came so seamlessly. Yeah. 
for him. And, and that's a sign of great confidence when a player doesn't have to think or doesn't second guess themselves. An act just comes naturally in a football field because you're just in such a zone and yeah. he just sweeps in a volley without any sort of effort whatsoever. It was wonderful. And, and that's the way he played the whole game. I mean, there's going to be a number of players. I reckon there'll be 10 to 15 that we'll look at when the Olympic squad is named. We'll go, gee, he's unlucky. He's unlucky. Connor Metcalf's a lock. Like he's he an Oli, a, and he's going to be an Oli absolute Olympian. lock because he's big enough as well, right? Mm, in yep. an under twenty three competition, look at the physique. Yeah. Can't wait to watch him against Spain, Argentina, and, <laughs> and then Egypt. It's a tough group, but uh, he's going to uh, you know to be able to test himself against the best, and he's one that could really jump out of the box for us. So he's flying at the moment. They're going to lose him though, and a number of others come the finals, which we know is a big blow for Melbourne City. Scott McDonald left Brisbane during the week. Yep. There's been some links of him going to, to Melbourne City to replace Jamie McLaren, who's likely to miss the finals. It all makes sense on on paper. I yeah. asked Paddy Kosnorbo about it. He said, there's nothing in it. I'm good friends with Scotty, but no, we haven't spoken. Spoken to the McDonald camp. They say there's nothing in it, but that doesn't mean there isn't. What mm. do you think will happen, Rob? Oh, I think he'll end up there. Okay. I'd be shocked if he doesn't. Right. I mean, there was rumours going back three, four weeks ago that that was uh, an option Melbourne City were looking at. And um, I mean, are you telling me he's just left for no reason? He's just decided to leave in the middle of a season because he's got nowhere else to go. I mean, I'd be, I'd be, I'd be shocked if he doesn't end up at Melbourne City. Whether I think it's the right move for Melbourne City is another thing. I know he is great. He has been great. He's made, um, he's made Brisbane tick, uh, particularly in the early parts of the season. He's not the same player as Jamie McLaren. He doesn't probably have the same energy, the same engine. Mm. Are they expecting him more just to play that hold up role and bring and and drop in deep, allow Craig Noon and and Metcalf if he's well, he won't be there, but um, Naboo if he's there to get beyond the line. Um, yeah, I'm not sure where he fits into the to the structure. What else do you do though? I mean, you've got to find a couple of players from somewhere to give yourself a chance. Um, yeah. And they, you know, a, a striker like him signals his availability if he is going to go there. Uh, to be it honest, I would have gone. For, I would have gone for like a Jordan Murray. I don't know where he is at the moment. I know he's finished up in India. I would have gone for someone like that. Yeah, at least he's got the big game experience. So McDonald, he'll be able to deal with that. He'll he'll relish the occasion. He loves the big stage. Um, I don't mind it if he ends up if he ends up there. Yeah. At least they're having a crack, and it's such a tough position to fill. We know that strikers in Australian football are so hard to find. Yes, okay, yeah. he's past his best, but. Hey, he's still shown enough over the last couple of seasons that he can give them something if they can set him up nicely. Then maybe, just maybe, he'll be able to uh, to help them have a good finals campaign. So we'll watch to see if that one does eventuate. Hey, at the time of speaking, there's some interesting games during the week, Rob. That's for sure. Western United against Newcastle tonight. Surely that's a win for Western United. They have to in their quest for a final spot. Sydney FC against the victory on Tuesday night. That's a big game. Central Coast against Brisbane on Wednesday evenings. A massive encounter. And how about the Sydney Derby on Saturday wow. night. Look at the Wanderers under pressure. Their fans putting up banners at the training ground, wanting the CEO out, you know, ready to burn the place down um, just about at the moment. And they've got a derby coming up. It's going to be a, a piping hot atmosphere. Oh, it's, it's epic. I hope they get a big crowd out there and, um, you know, they've got to put on a good performance, whether they win or not. They need to show that they're taking this seriously and then they're turning the corner. No one likes to see fans at training grounds. Um, I've experienced a couple of times in my career. It's not something pleasant. Um, so let's hope that we don't see that because uh, the players are working hard. It isn't working at the moment, but uh, they're the ones that need to turn it around. So hopefully for Wanderers, it can start on Saturday night. 
let's hope that's the case from their point of view. But Sydney FC would love nothing more, of course, than to uh, further inflict some pain on their rivals. Adam LaFondra will join them soon. Uh, he's not ready yet, but he was our guest this week, which we love. Thanks to all of you for listening. Thanks to Brittany Carter, who puts it all together. She's a star. Thanks to you, Robbie Cornthwaite. It's been another fun edition of the Grandstand Football Podcast. Certainly has, mate. Uh, thoroughly enjoyable. And uh, as always, see you next week. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.